5: hi everyone this is tommy vincent your host of in her words podcast at tommy vincent podcast and today we have joining us at the table kim anthony kim is the first african-american woman to receive a scholarship to compete for ucla gymnastics she is a six-time all-american four-time national champion. She was inducted into the UCLA Hall of Fame in 2000, inducted in Virginia Sports Hall of Fame in 2017, and she is the author of Unfavorable Odds. Now, the list can go on and on and on, but those are just some of the highlights of Kim. Kim welcome to the in her words table I'm looking forward to you staying a while with me so that we can hear from you in your words thank you so much Tommy it is an honor to be here so right out the gate I am going to ask you who is Kim Anthony in your words in my
6: words Kim Anthony is a woman of substance a woman who is loves to get into deep things a woman who cares about people and one of my favorite things of all times is seeing other people succeed i love to encourage people i love to see people walking in their purpose living out their authentic identities
5: and it just brings me joy Okay. So now let's get into some more questions so we can go deeper into Kim Anthony and your journey. And the first question I have for you is, did you find gymnastics or did gymnastics find you? Ooh, I have never been asked that question before. (laughs) Wow. You know what? I,
6: I think goodness, Maybe gymnastics found me. I was upside down more than I was right side up when I was younger, when I was little. That's what my family tells me all the time. I was always flipping off of railings, walking on fences, flipping off of fences, jumping, um, flipping upside down. And it was just normal for me to do that. And I would literally, my grandmother had these wrought iron beds and I would walk across the bed, the base of the bed like a balance beam and do flips mm-hmm. off onto the mattress, all kinds of things. And it wasn't until I saw Nadia Komenich in the 76 Olympics that I thought, oh, this is a thing. <laughs> People really do this. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they get Olympic medals uh, to do it. So, um, So I think gymnastics found me. And then I discovered gymnastics in the formal sense, I will say.
5: At the time you were competing in gymnastics, you didn't look around and see other girls that looked like you. What kind of mental gymnastics did you have to contend with? Another good question, Tommy. I
6: didn't see little girls with brown skin who looked like me doing gymnastics for the longest time. And I had grown up in an era where there were people around me talking about how black people were inferior to white and how that was the way we were seen. And when I started doing gymnastics, of course, I noticed I was the only one. But I also had this thing that was internalized within me that, of course, I could never be as good as all of the other Mm -hmm. gymnasts because of what I looked like. And I started to just, uh, I guess, practice as if I could never be as good as they were. Yet I had this coach who was an African-American woman, still is, and she saw something special in me. And she saw how I would allow the other little girls to get in front of me and I would miss turns. And she, would, she started to be really hard on me. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't like her. I was just like, <laughs> she's out to get me. But as we grew in our relationship, our coaching relationship, I realized that she really loved me, cared about me, and knew that there was something special. And it was actually when I was competing at the state meet. I, I qualified for the state meet in Virginia my very first year of competition and I did see another little black girl and she did one of the skills perfectly. And when I saw her, it actually gave me permission to do that same mm-hmm. skill. And so I went out and I did it just as good as she did. And my coach looked at me and said, what happened? <laughs> you, you never, <laughs> you, you have never done that before. And there's something about representation. There's something about seeing someone out there who looks like you that actually, I know it for me personally, it gave me permission to be great.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And that makes all the sense in the world, because if what you're looking at does not look like you, then in your mind, you know, it's easy to interpret that as, well, that's what they're able to do. That's not what I'm able to do. And Even the beauty of being able to have a coach that look like you, knowing that there's a way that in our community we get coached up and we get talked to, you know, because we understand it. You got to just do more. And, And that's just the reality of our circumstances. And. She knew that and she knew you had what it it took to get it done. And she had to tap into that. And so I'm so grateful that she was a part of your journey and that you recognized and it didn't become a hindrance to you how she was coaching you and pushing you and pulling the best out of you. Yes,
6: yes, absolutely right. I am grateful for her, too. Because had she not paid attention to me and done those extra things for me, I would have gone by the wayside because no one else was looking out for me.
4: Mm, mm
5: -hmm. In your book, Unfavorable Odds, you share how you transform life's pain into purpose. Mm -hmm. At some point, you made up your mind that these circumstances do not define me and will not determine my destiny. Do you remember when that shift took place in your mind?
6: I would have to say that shift took place in my mind when I talked to my mother about my dreams, about wanting to become a world-class gymnast. And even though there were people around me, as I explained earlier, who had kind of instilled in me that there was some inferiority um, because of the color of my skin, my mother was not that person. She Mm -hmm. was so optimistic, and anything I brought to her, and I said, Mama, I want to do this. She would say, oh, baby, you can do it. So (laughs) just by... Being encouraged by her time and time again, and I came up with some wild things to do, but she was always supportive, never said, Oh, I don't think you can do that. Or she never talked about how hard it would be. She just said, you can do it. And if you Mm -hmm. find out that you start doing something and it doesn't work out or you don't like it, that's okay. You can you know, try the next thing. So I started to grow up believing that it's okay to try something and and fail at it or try mm-hmm. something and not move forward if it's not for you so she just opened up a world for me
7: mm. mm-hmm. this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors big and small when we keep them bottled up it can start to affect us negatively therapy is safe it's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule.
2: Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession.
4: But the problem is that that
2: paperwork,
5: as our reporting showed, is fake.
2: As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: There's a story that I've heard you share um, regarding when you were reporting at a game. Mm. to millions of people and fear paralyzed you. Take us to that moment. Oh, goodness. Yes, I was a courtside reporter
6: covering the NBA and I was doing an opening stand-up in front of over a million people. And in my earpiece, I could hear my producer who was out in the truck. And I, I was supposed to look at this camera that was on the second floor of the arena. So... The play-by-play guys and the the color analysts, they were both across the court doing their open. And the producer comes to me and he says, Kim, we're coming to you in three, two, one. The red light on the camera comes on. I start to do my report and about a sentence or two into that report, my mind goes completely blank mm. and I couldn't think of a single word. And I... I, you know, I, I picked up after that and and I um walked away from that, just embarrassed. and mm-hmm. it wasn't like I hadn't prepared. I had spent days preparing for that game. I had interviewed the head coach, the players. I knew exactly what I was going to say, but for some reason, it didn't come out. And I didn't like that. you know, you you mentioned I was um competitive. I mean, all my life, I've been competing. and as a gymnast, you're trained to be perfect, right? Um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do my very best and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, so I started to work with an on-air coach. An on-air coach was going to help me to never do that again, that was my plan. So I start, <laughs> <laughs> so I start working with her and she uh, put me through some drills, she watched my tape and she couldn't find anything in particular that was wrong with that, What with what I was doing. And then she just started asking me about my background, my family. And, you know, I thought she was a, a bit nosy. I, I, my first thought was it's none of her business. But for <laughs> some reason, I decided to trust her with my story. And I started telling her about how difficult things were for me growing up, how um, people treated me, and how um, I, I just had a bad relationship with my father there. I couldn't think of a single thing positive to say, Tommy about my childhood at that time. Mm -hmm. And then every time I would go back and work with her, which was every week, then she would, um, ask me about my family life and all this drama from my past. And pretty soon I became, uh, curious as to when we were going to start to work on the on air stuff that I was actually paying her for. And I finally said to her, I said, listen, today, I don't want to talk about the drama and the pain from my past. I just want to work on the on-air stuff. (laughs) And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Kim, we are working on the on-air stuff because every time that red light came on on that camera, I would revert back to that little nine-year-old girl who was being beat up, called names, told I was a mistake being treated like I was a mistake. And actually I was believing I was a mistake, Tommy. Mm -hmm. So even though I had the skills to report at that level on the inside of me, I didn't believe I was enough because there was this Mm -hmm. tape of lies playing over and over again. That was telling me that I wasn't enough, that what I had wasn't enough. And It ends up that there was this situation of abuse that took place when I was little. And um, when I spoke up about it to the adults that were um, supposed to be caring for me at the time, instead of being heard and believed and protected, I was punished every single time. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon I started to believe that I had no voice, that what I said didn't matter. I became very uh, scared to read out loud in class. I, I didn't want to do public speaking. Uh, everything that I was doing to use my voice i I feared and so I tried to use my voice as little as possible and um, now that I know that using my voice is a large part of my purpose, so what was happening was my my heart was drawn towards carrying out my purpose which is to use my voice but the pain from my past was actually holding me back Mm. and you know you know right now I work with leaders and there's a lot of times that we go about life and we don't even realize that the pain or the different things that we've gone through in the past are
5: actually affecting our lives today so you said two things so I'm, I'm gonna start with the first one um You know, you said that even though you were dealing with this personal assault at the hands of other people who sowed into you that you weren't good enough, that your voice didn't matter, you still were drawn to what it is that ultimately now today you recognize like this is what God has chosen you to do. So the calling didn't change. But some things did need to change because if you did not address the internal hard work that needed to occur, the opportunity would present itself. But you would not be successful at it because you were being held back by the voices in your head, by the moments in time that came to snatch away purpose, power, you know, that. God ultimately had put in you to bring glory to his name. And that's something that unfortunately is not an uncommon story. There are women who experienced tumultuous things in their childhood and it was swept under the rug. It was, you know, There was to your point, you were punished if you shared, especially if it involved someone that someone else cared about and they didn't want it to get out. So you have all these things and women have these things that they grapple with and then they go into environments where potentially they're triggered because they're engaging with um, male counterparts. And if their abuse was at the hands of another man, there's tone, there's all these things that could be taking place and she's not flourishing, but she knows like, but I'm so much greater than this, but I don't understand what words of encouragement, what hope, what power can you give her right now so that she can walk into her destiny? Mm -hmm.
6: I would encourage her to identify the lies she's been believing. I was believing lies for so many years, and they were affecting me without me knowing it. And I would ask her to to assess her life. And if self-defeating thoughts continue to shout louder than her skill sets and her accomplishments, then there is definitely a lie she's been believing. And I would encourage her to reject that lie, that she is more than enough. And I, um, there's this thing that <laughs> if I were to go back in time and been able to speak to myself when I went blank uh, covering an NBA game, here's what I would say to myself. I'd say, breathe, just breathe. You belong here. You've got this. Mm. Your value is not derived by earning someone else's acceptance. Reject the lies you've been believing. Mm -hmm. And be Mm -hmm. faithful to what is true. Go out there and be unmistakably, unapologetically, and courageously you. You know your brilliance. You've done the work to grow your brilliance, take back your voice, and throw your brilliance. Just breathe
5: and trust that you are more than enough. Mm-hmm. Girl, that was a poem. <laughs> 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 Ooh, I wish I could have told
6: myself that. Oh, Thank mm-hmm. you, Tommy. Thank you.
5: That was absolutely beautiful. So something else that you said was this. In gymnastics, you are trained to be perfect. That is unattainable. And and I'm sure you know that today. I can imagine, though, that that shows up. How do you beat down per- perfection? Woo. Ooh, that's a loaded question.
6: <laughs> Beating down perfection. Okay. So, um, I've, I've heard people say I am a recovering perfectionist, right? <laughs> so maybe I put myself in that category. I'm, I'm still working on it to this day. I mean, think about it. I trained and competed at a, at the Olympic level for so many years and it's just drilled into you. And every gymnast mm-hmm. I meet around this country, it, I mean, we know, we look at each other and we just know. We know there's this perfectionistic tendency. And so what I would, um, I've i learned along the way, as I've leaned into my pain, leaned into all the things that may prevent me from being all that I was designed to be, one of the things I've learned is that y- you don't have to be perfect in order to be successful. Sometimes you just have to do perform with excellence right so that's my goal is excellence not perfection but excellence is my goal now and then sometimes you just have to say you know what that is good enough because if we are continuing to try to make it perfect every time it will take so long it will take up so much of your time and so so sometimes it's good enough and then there's some times when you're like okay I need to work on that. I need to improve in that area. So I would tell any person who is wrestling with perfectionism is shoot for excellence. And sometimes good is good
5: enough.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
5: In addition to speaking to audiences around the world, you spend time speaking with wives and significant others of professional athletes. Why do you feel called to speak to that Specific group of women? You know what? My husband played just a, a brief stint
6: in the NFL. And I remember when we first got married, he was with the Jets, and we went to a church. And the pastor, in the middle of the sermon, actually called him out and said, Hey, everybody, we have, you know, so and so from the Jets here. We want to welcome him. And they you know, gave him applause. And and it was really weird for us because we felt that it was supposed to be that sacred space, right? So afterwards, everyone just rushed my husband with their church bulletins, with pens in hand, wanting an autograph. And I went from standing beside him holding his hand to being pushed into a corner, literally. And I remember thinking, what in the world is this? And so from <laughs> that experience, I realized that many NFL wives, many pro-athletes wives, you know, who were married um, to pro-athletes, um, would probably like me wrestle with that, right? Thinking, you know what? And what about me? Not that I wanted to ask people have people clamoring for my autograph. Mm-hmm. But what about my value? What about my worth? Is there anything with me? And actually, I ended up, um, my husband and I were chaplains, um, NFL chaplains for 10 years and, and continues to serve um, on different levels with the NFL. And one of the years, I um, created a Bible study called What About Me? It was written specifically mm-hmm. for the NFL wife. And I wanted her to know that even though her husband is getting you know all of this recognition that she has great value that her value is intrinsic she doesn't have to compete with her husband to earn it she doesn't have to you know get all the attention of these people she doesn't have to be famous she doesn't have to all she needs to do is to walk in the fullness of who she's been designed to be because actually God has already given us that value Mm -hmm. So I think it was because of my own experience that I felt so led to speak into the lives of other NFL wives.
0: Mm -hmm. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye.
5: What words would you share with elementary school-aged Kim? Ooh, goodness, Tommy. (laughs) You got me thinking here. You
6: have got me thinking. What would I say? You know what? Little elementary school Kim was very sad because she was watching her mother be abused And I would tell her, it's going to be okay. This is not the life you will live in the future. You and your mama are going to make it. You win. God's got you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You're going to be all right.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
5: So in this segment, um, it is titled, I am bringing her to the table with me. And this is your opportunity to verbally give someone their flowers. Um, another woman, her flowers for, you know, that where you are, your professional journey is not where it is today without her fingerprint. On your life? I don't even have to think about
6: it, Tommy. That person would be my mom. She has been my cheerleader since day one, and she was an incredible leader. She would would go into her company and and turn teams around and then they'd send her to a different team that was acting up and she would go in and fix it. She was like <laughs> the fixer. And she raised me as a single mom. She was my sole provider and she was able to overcome poverty and I watched her live her dream and, and become the vice president of a of a company of a of an insurance mm-hmm. company and she did the impossible. Uh, I mean, the things that we had been through, the circumstances that we we had lived through together, goodness, as a little girl, I couldn't imagine having a different life. But she never gave up and she never gave up on her dream. She never gave up on my dream and she sacrificed. I mean, she worked three jobs to help pay for me to train in gymnastics. We cleaned the 20,000 plus square foot gym at night. So she is definitely the person I would give those flowers to. Oh,
5: I love my mama. And Kim, uh, what was your mom's name? Sandra. Sandra?
6: Sandra.
5: All right. And you know what, tommy,
6: i um i I do this single mom's outreach in connection with the NBA All-Star weekend. And mm-hmm. part of that event, I give out the Sandra's Hope Award to a single mom
5: who exemplifies those character traits that I saw in my mom. Mm. Mm
3: -hmm.
5: That's amazing. And so our final segment is food is love. And so I have a series of questions that I'm going to ask you, um, that this is feeding people in many ways as my love language. And so this segment is near and dear to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what <Yes>. food best <laughs> what food best describes your personality and why Ooh. okay so beef wellington
6: it uh is if i mean i know you know what beef wellington is but for listeners it's this it's a, it's a pastry on the outside so it looks like this this long pastry and i think it's pretty unassuming. You may think it's a dessert. Um, it it may seem fragile because there's this flakiness to the crust, and um, and it may appear like there's not a lot of substance. But then you cut into that beef Wellington, and <laughs> there is meat. There, <laughs> there is there is there is su- there's a um substance. There there's you know it's gonna fill you up. And and I say that because I'm I'm a deep person. I don't do small talk very well. It, it kind of just you know it just doesn't work for me. But when I can get deep and talk about those things that are life changing, oh my
5: goodness! Oh yeah, so beef Wellington is <laughs> is, is, is the dish for me. <laughs> we will never look at beef Wellington the same. <laughs> Has food ever been healing for you? Oh my goodness! Probably more times than I care to mention Food
6: has been definitely has been healing, and as I think about it, it's usually when I have poured myself out um, i I love helping people, I love encouraging people, I give up myself so that other people can succeed. And it's a passion of mine. But every now and then I come across a situation where I may pour all of myself, all of my energy. You know, I'm dog tired. And mm-hmm. the reciprocating factors are not the same. It could be someone taking advantage of you or some, someone doing something that is really hurtful in return for all you've done. And it's mm-hmm during those times when I'm disappointed, I think when I'm disappointed Mm -hmm. that I usually go to food and it makes me feel Mm -hmm. better.
5: (laughs) So, 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 uh, so I just, let's, let's just sit there for a minute because, okay. um, Women tend to take food and they term it like a guilty pleasure. And it's not Mm. something, it becomes negative when we know that food, the, purpose of food is to nourish us, Mm -hmm. to feed us. And Mm -hmm. so when life is beating you down and you're encountering these situations and you resort to an internal feeding, which food is providing for you. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you. So I, so I'm going to pose a question to you. Why would that for you be, like a a negative like oh. so you know where where food is concerned um for for us to because when I think of healing food healing I think mm-hmm. of like a dish that warms my heart and feeds my soul a pot of stew or I'm just using those as examples um But as women, we tend to do that. You know, like if, if I want to have a brownie, I can't just enjoy eating a brownie. I got (laughs) to be like, oh, this is my cheat meal or this is my, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's always something negative tied to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
6: Yeah. Well, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking of the food as being negative. I was actually thinking the food as being something positive for me to take in. Right. Because it makes Mm -hmm. me feel better. Um, I think more of it's more about my mood being negative. I'm disappointed. and so, um, I love food, and if you make it pretty, oh my goodness, oh, I, I just I just can't handle it. So I mean, I watch some of your your um posts where you're making this food, and I'm just like, what is she doing to me? I can't cause I can't get to it, and I want it. And so, so food for me, I mean, it reminds me of that comfort that a mother gives. So mm-hmm. if I'm discouraged, my mother is no longer here. I can't mm-hmm. spend time with her. I can't call her up anymore. So, and which is what I used to do when she was here. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. I get discouraged. You know, I have friends that I can call, yes, but there's something about food and that that makes me feel just that, that warmth and touch of my mom again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
5: Mm hmm. Does your family have any heirloom recipes that are passed down from generation to generation? I have a
6: recipe from my grandmother and it's called it's for sweet potato puffs. OK, mm. <laughs> sweet potato puffs. And this is where it came from, basically. And. And it stems from what I used to beg for, for as a little girl. So what she mm-hmm. would do is she'd make these sweet potato pies and she would always have leftover crust and leftover um, filling. Mm-hmm. And she would put the filling in, into these the, the crust and make these puffs, you know, fold it over, close it up and make puffs and give them to me. And I love those even more than the pie. So she gave me the recipe for the sweet potato puffs, which wasn't even a thing <laughs> <laughs> until, I, until I made it a thing. Um, but I still have that recipe in her handwriting. And it is so special to me.
5: Mm, that, now mm. that just spoke to my heart because let me tell you something. Your children's children may not have ever met your grandmother mm. in the physical But when they had those sweet potato puffs, that's her. That's her love (laughs) on a plate. Oh, man, that is. Oh, man, that is. (laughs) um, I love it. I love how and I love how she tailored. It was like a special thing between you and her. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm, I love it. So Kim, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today and listen, I know that you're hearing our conversation and Kim shared some pieces of her story and you may be intrigued. You can purchase her book Unfavorable Eyes which is a uh, memoir style and so you can Learn more about her story and how she was able to transform that pain into purpose and really utilize that now to be an encouragement to others and leading Mm -hmm. leaders all around the world. Kim, how can people stay in contact with you and get more information about you? Sure. They can definitely go to my website, Kimanthony.net.
6: I'm on Instagram at real Kim Anthony and um, yeah. So you, my book, you can find it on Amazon and I would love to connect with you. I have people who write me through my website and um, we connect and, and I'd love to give encouragement. So that's the best way.
5: Thank you. Thank you so much, Kim, for joining me today and allowing us to have the opportunity to stay a while and for us to hear from you in your words. Oh, it has been an honor,
6: Tommy. Thank you so much.
5: Stay a while, Tommy.
7: This show is sponsored by better help. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them